All right, hello everyone. Good to good to see you tonight. All right, we'll pray and we'll get into this. And we have the Lord's Supper we get to celebrate at the end, so it's a good night. I'm glad you're glad that you're here. Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for the redemption that you've given us through Christ Jesus. And as we look at the message from your word, as we uh, get ready to receive the Lord's uh, Supper and to think about what you did for us, um, we just we recognize and we confess that you did it all. Everything that is required to bring us to, uh, to salvation was accomplished by you. Our salvation is completely by grace. It is completely a gift. It is not something that we earn even 1% of it. Uh, you paid it all for us, and we give you praise for that. As we think about what your scripture says, as far as how we receive this gift, we do recognize that although the, the gift is offered to all, not everyone receives it, Lord. And so help us to think biblically and clearly about that and help this to be something that gives you more glory and honor as we uh, think about this clearly. So we give you praise. I thank you for the redemption that you've given us. And just help us to realize that our salvation from beginning to end is completely due to you. We cannot take credit for it at all. Uh, so we give you uh, great praise and I ask you to be at, the, in the, at work in every heart that is here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> we are continuing to go through the What We Believe series, working our way through our church's doctrinal statement. And this has been uh, a great opportunity to talk about all these different doctrines in Scripture and to unpack these and hopefully try to make them uh, as clear as we can. <clears throat> so it's something to make it clear in your minds. Also hopefully something that um, you can use to help uh, communicate these things uh, to other people as well. So today we're talking about repentance and faith and these uh, things together. And see, I'm going to tie my shoe here or else this will bug me the whole time. All right. There we go. All right, so <clears throat> just want to clarify if you're new here, uh, we believe that Scripture is our ultimate authority, not our doctrinal statement. Um, so we're, it's ultimately our doctrinal statement could be wrong, but we're looking at this, trying to examine if we believe it is biblical and kind of uh, what it means, where Scripture teaches this, and uh, how it distinguishes maybe us from other people that would believe something different. So with that, uh, bring up the statement on repentance and faith, and I'll read this. And uh, if you have this in your, um, uh, if you have the booklet, you can follow along. So, repentance and faith, Article 13. We believe that repentance and faith are solemn obligations and also inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the quickening Spirit of God, thereby being deeply convicted of our guilt danger and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy, at the same time heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and openly confessing him as our only and all-sufficient Savior. There's a lot of great things in this paragraph that we're going to unpack. We're going to take a look at uh, some of the words here that we might need to say, okay, what does this mean? But in order to start with this, I have something I would like to have uh, whatever kids are here. 
if there are kids that are willing to come up and help me with this. I would like any and all kids that are willing to come up onto the stage to help me out. And so, give me my kids as well, others. All right, good. <coughs> there is money involved. This motivates you, okay? So, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. A lot of kids here for PM service. I'm glad this is good. I'm glad I got the, the big roll of quarters. All right. Hey, good to see you guys. All right. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I have a bunch of rolls of quarters, or, uh, well, a roll of quarters. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these down. Let me count how many of you. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. All right. So I'm going to put these down here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 11, 12, 13. Okay, so we got 15, so we're, we're still good. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to let you each have one of these quarters, okay? But there is a, uh, there's a rule, okay? Now, you know how quarters work, okay? Who, know, who here knows how much a quarter's worth? Okay, do you know how much? Close, 25, 25 cents. And do you know who's on a quarter? Like whose picture this is? This is George Washington, and on the back there's an eagle, okay? So this is, this is heads with, that has the picture of George Washington. And you know who, who, who is George Washington? The first president. You're right, first president of the United States. And the eagle was the first uh, vice president. That's not true at all. Okay, so this is, this is heads, okay, because it has a head on it. And this is tails. Um, well, an eagle does have a tail, so that works. Okay, so here's the thing. You can each have a quarter, but you can, you can take it to your seats, but you can just have the head side, okay? So I would take the head side, but, I, but leave the tail side here, and you can then, then you can take it back to your parents, okay? A metal cutting saw. A metal cutting saw. <laughs> that is great industry. <laughs> I don't. Let me let me ask. Does anybody have a metal cutting saw with you right here? No. Okay. So what what's the problem? Uh, you can't take the tails off the head. Well, that's what I'm saying. You can just take the head side, but leave the tail side here. Okay. Is there sticky glue? There? You're saying that's impossible. That's impossible, huh? I'm trying to be nice here and give you guys money, and none of you want this. You're not willing to take the head side and just leave the tails here, Brody. How much can you grab? Well, you can each have one, but you could just the head side. Leave the tails here. Okay, so what? So who's gonna? None of you are. You're not gonna try. You could try to just take the head side. <laughs> so you're saying if I'm gonna give you the head side, I need to give you the tail side too. Would that work a lot better? Okay. Well, then you can each. You can have both sides. So each kid can take one, and you can. You can go back with your parents. Thank you, kids, very much. Now, keep your, keep your quarter with you because I will talk about these again. Did everyone get one? All right.
Well, you kids, maybe you didn't realize this, but you just helped me make my first point that I want to talk about here with repentance and faith. And I think this is something that's going to be really helpful for us as we think about all of this. And the first point I want to make, and if, you're, if you have the bulletin, you can you know, fill this out and take notes, is that repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. So we're going to be talking about these things, repentance and faith, and it might seem like we're talking about two different things. But I think it's very helpful if we think about them that it is, it's really two ways of looking at the same thing. And so here, I just have one quarter. I don't have one quarter that's heads and another quarter that's tails. It's one quarter, but it's, it's heads on one side, it's tails on the other. And so when we talk about what is repentance and what is faith, we're talking about one thing really, but it's two sides of the same coin. And I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that. But in the doctrinal statement, I think it gets at this when it calls these inseparable graces. And so if something is inseparable, it means you can't separate it. So I love that some of you were talking about trying to think ingenious ways. Could you, you know, get the metal cutting saw and could you slice this down the middle so you could take uh, the, the heads part and leave the tails? And I mean, you'd have to be pretty good to be cutting it like that. And I don't know if it's still, uh, I don't think it still counts as a quarter if you do that. Otherwise, if it does, hey, we could double our money. So <laughs> if that works out, get the deacons back there with the offering and the hacksaw. and <laughs> let's, uh, We'll be increasing our, our giving. But yeah, it's, it's inseparable. They have to stay together. You can't split these apart. But here's the thing. There's people that maybe think you can. And if you think, well, you can take just the, the faith side, but we're going to leave the repentance side or have one without the other, I think we're getting something really wrong at this. So there are times in Scripture where we'll talk about faith. There are times in Scripture where it talks about repentance and sometimes in Scripture where it talks about both of them kind of in the same breath. So one example would be Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So to believe, that's to have faith. And so that's, that's one side, maybe the head side. And then you got the tail side, which is, which is repent. Uh, there's other places as well too in Acts 19.4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Uh, Acts 20, 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so sometimes the Bible does talk about both sides of the coin. There's sometimes where it talks about one or the other. But if you were walking along and you saw a quarter on the ground and you saw just the tail side, and let's say the tail side is repentance, well, we would know that if, if true repentance and true faith always go together, even if you're just seeing the one side, you know that the other side has to be there as well. And if this was the other way and it was the, the, the head side and it mentions uh, faith, you would know that well, you see the head side of the quarter, you would know that the tail side is still there as well. So even though Scripture sometimes will just talk about faith or sometimes talk about repentance, I think when, it talks, when we're talking about the kind of faith and repentance that actually saves us, it's two sides of the same coin. And even if it just mentions once, they're, they're both there. And we'll talk about this a little bit, but I think what this means is that the way that we receive this gift of salvation that God gives us, 
And let me just be really, really clear about this, is we really want to keep being very clear that salvation is completely a gift. We do not earn 1% of it. Jesus earned it all. He did everything. There is, there's no sliver that we can take credit for. Okay? So it's all earned completely by him. We're saved by grace alone. But the way that we receive the gift, we say, is by, by faith alone. By, by trusting, by receiving this gift, by relying upon Christ. And the point that we're making here is when we talk about faith alone, it's, that's, it has, it's two sides of the same coin by which we receive it. And so when we talk about faith, it's always a faith that includes repentance. It's a repentant faith. And when we talk about uh, repentance, real saving repentance is always a, a believing, trusting repentance. The two have to go together. If you have it where you can split them, then something is kind of wrong with our thinking. So that's the, that's the first point. And just drawing that out of, uh, well, the Scripture, but also from our doctrinal statement, inseparable graces. Also, too, it describes these as graces. Now, grace, grace means free gift as something that is given to us. And I think that actually brings us to the second point that we can talk about as well. And that is that repentance and faith are wrought in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, in our doctrinal statement, it says, we believe that repentance and faith, is, and it says our solemn obligations and also inseparable graces uh, wrought in our souls in our inner being, uh, by the quickening Spirit of God. Now, quickening means to be, to be made alive, okay? So it doesn't just mean that you become the flash or something like that. Okay, quickening means that you were once, you were once dead and you've been, you've been made alive by the Holy Spirit. You've been, uh, received a new birth, regeneration. This is uh, what Pastor Nick talked about a few uh, weeks ago, when we talked about the, the new birth. Now, when I was making my little summaries for the fill-in-the-blank, I was thought about saying it in different words. Repentance and faith are, I don't know, worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit or produced in our hearts. But there was something about me that I really liked that word wrought. That is something that, that, that the, the Holy Spirit is, is forging these things into our hearts, into our souls. And uh, if I was going to pick a different word, maybe forged, that is something that he is making internal to us. And so, what this means is that if we are saved by repenting and believing, by trusting him, okay, this means that not only is the fact that this gift is given to us by the grace of God, but even what happens in our hearts so that we receive it is actually something that is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that if he didn't do that in our hearts, we wouldn't even receive the gift that God gives to us. And that's how much salvation is by God and a gift of grace to him. Now, don't get me wrong. It is still something that we are obligated to do. And I think our doctrinal statement is correct that says there are solemn obligations. So God is saying to every single person, you are commanded to repent and believe. And this is, this is a requirement 
And so there is a responsibility for each person to do this. So if you have never turned to Christ and believed on him, uh, this is an obligation for you. And I, I call on you with the authority of God's word. You need to do this in order to be saved. But there's also something we realize that once we turn to Christ and we, we accept him, we realize even this didn't come from us. That this was the Holy Spirit forging this in our hearts, changing us from the inside out so that, so that we would trust and believe. So I think about this, some of you kids, you still have your quarters. Now let's say there was, uh, the quarter was your, your entry to get back into your pew with mom and dad, okay, to get back home. And uh, <clears throat> you had to, let's say you had to show this to them in order to get back into your pew to be allowed back in. Um, and it's kind of what salvation is like. We've wandered away from home, away from God. You know, we're coming back in. Here's the thing. You didn't earn this. You were, you were given this. And so even your, your ticket back in, back into a relationship with God, wasn't produced by you. It, it was all given to you. Let's look at a few verses. <clears throat> One, Acts 11.18. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give these to you, and I'm going to let you just... Point two here is probably one that if this is new to you, you might take time to just let this sink in and wrestle with Scripture on this. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they felt silent, and they glorified God, saying, "Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life." So the Gentiles here they had repented, but they recognized that even this repentance was something that ultimately was from God. Yeah, they repented. They did. Okay. Um, just the same way that we need to repent, but they recognized that ultimately even this was granted to them from God. Another passage that says something similar is, is in uh, 2 Timothy 2.25, where uh, Paul instructs Timothy to be correcting his opponents with gentleness, and it says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So we do, we work in people's lives, we try to treat them well, uh, we try to gently correct people with God's truth, but we recognize that ultimately, we're, that's why we pray for people too, that God would be working in their heart, that he may grant them repentance, that he may turn their heart towards him. That it's not something that they just are able to uh, manufacture on their own in their hearts, but God produces this. And even when we talk about faith, <clears throat> just think about what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And I, I just love this passage because of how clear it is that if you are saved, it is by God's grace. And again, grace means free gift. Okay? So you don't earn your salvation at all. You don't earn any of it. A genuine free gift is not something that you've earned. You receive it by faith. By, by trusting him. And then it goes on and says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So everything about our salvation, ultimately, when we realize this, we recognize this is all a gift from God. That God is one that gets 100% of the credit from beginning to end. And yeah, it's kind of a mystery. How does this work? Because on one hand, we are required to be doing this. And we are, we are obligated, we're held responsible. 
but we also realize that uh, that God is the one that, that works in our hearts to, to help us, to cause us to be doing this, and we wouldn't do it on our own unless he, unless he did this. And yeah, it's a bit of a mystery exactly how that works, but we're, we're not required to solve all the mysteries. We're required to believe what God tells us in Scripture and to accept that, whether we can put those together or not. But I really believe that the more, I, I think a lot of us get this, that if you look back in your life and as you mature as a Christian, you don't think to yourself, well, I turned to Christ and I trusted in him because I'm such a better person than all those uh, just fools around me that, that didn't. If you start doing that, it's like you're patting yourself on the back, you know, for, for coming to Christ. And it's like if you can pat yourself on the back for it, then it's almost, it becomes a work. But everything about our salvation says that it is not the result of the works that no one can boast. If there's anything you think you can boast about, well, then it, it's becoming a work. And so I think mature Christians, they look back and they realize, yeah, I turned to Christ, I believed in him, and it was, it was me. But you realize that God is the one that was at work in your heart so that you would do that. That if God had left you on your own, you would have just continued in your course running away from God full speed. And you give praise and glory to him. I think this is something that when this sinks in and we realize it, it just, it just ups the, the amount that we just give complete praise to him. Because we can't even say, well, I'm a better person than anyone else. It's just that God has, has had this mercy on me. So, yeah, I believe that this is saying the Bible teaches that even the very faith that we receive the gift with is a gift from God, and God gets all the glory. There's a great, a great hymn, actually one of my favorites. It's by uh, Daniel Whittle. It's, I Know Whom I Have Believed. And uh, it's one that um, has a passage from 2 Timothy. In the, in the chorus, says, um, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's, that's the chorus. Some of you recognize that one? Okay, I'm seeing some nodding. But there's some great verses in there too. Verse 2, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. And then it goes and says, but I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able. So we don't understand how this works, how God rots this, this faith and repentance in our hearts, but we know that, hey, we can trust Jesus Christ to get us to heaven. We, we can entrust our souls, our destinies to him. Verse 3, I know not how the Spirit moves convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word creating faith in him. Jesus gets, gets all the praise. I want to talk about what is repentance, what is faith, and to kind of clarify that. And I know we have communion, so we have to keep moving with this. There's lots of ways that we could describe repentance. I some, think some may be more healthy and helpful than others. This is kind of my stab at it. And feel free to improve on this. There's definitely things you could add. <clears throat> but I would say repentance is turning away from rebellion against God. I think at the very least, it has to include something along those lines. Turning away from rebellion against God that 
that as sinners we are in rebellion against him. That's what sin is. It's not just breaking some random impersonal laws. It's that we're turning our back against him. We're rebelling against him. And so in repentance we're saying, I'm going to, cease, I'm going to try to cease doing this. I don't want to be in rebellion against God anymore. I don't want to be a rebel against him. And so we're, we're instead of being against God, we're, we're going to rage war against our rebellion against him instead. The word for repentance or to repent uh, is the word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. Okay? But it, it doesn't just mean a change of mind as if you can just have a mental change without this affecting the rest of our lives as well, too. It's, it's a change of mind that is, is a turning. It is uh, a change of mind that is also going to change our... Uh, we're going to think differently after this. It's going to change the way we live and trickle into other parts of our being as well. And so I think it does make sense to say that there is no salvation without repentance. I mean, to try and slice it and say, well, I, can, I want God as my, my Savior but I want to stay completely in rebellion against him. I, I think that doesn't make sense. To say, well, I want Jesus as my, as my priest, but I don't want him as my king. How does that work? Just like you can't take that quarter and slice it down the middle, you can't say, I want, I want half of Jesus. I want the Savior part, and I don't want the, I don't want the king, Lord part. You take, you take the whole Christ, or, or you don't take him. And he is king. And I think part of recognizing our need for salvation means that we need to realize that, that we have this sin problem. Okay? You, if you are in Lake Michigan this summer and you start to drown, okay, you are not going to call up for a lifeguard until you realize that you are drowning. And so in the same way, you know, we are not going to turn to a Savior unless you realize that you have something that you need saving from, unless you realize that you have this real sin problem. And so I think there are some people that maybe they turn to Jesus, but it, as not really a savior from actually their, their sin, but just, you know, he's their magic genie that's going to make their life wonderful. He's going to give them a bunch of good things and, and make all their dreams come true and give them all these blessings. Well, that's... He doesn't promise to do all that in this life. He's probably not going to. And if you're turning to him for the wrong reason, then you don't have him yet. He came to to seek and save sinners. And the only way that that makes sense is if you realize that you have sinned against him. And the only way that you're going to think that you've sinned against him is if you realize that he has the right to call the shots in your life. That he has the right to be the master over you. And so that's where I think it just makes sense that uh, you wouldn't even really turn to him as your savior unless you really recognize that, yeah, sinning against him is wrong because he deserves to be our master and that this is a genuinely bad thing to be sinning against him and being in rebellion to him. In uh, the church doctrinal statement, some helpful language here. It says, thereby being deeply convicted of our guilt, danger, and helplessness. So we realize in our hearts that I'm guilty. I mean, if people, if you're not deeply convicted of your guiltiness before a holy God, I don't see how you can actually be saved. 
to recognize that I deserve punishment. I deserve condemnation because I've done something genuinely wrong, sinning against a holy God. And not just where I feel I'm, I feel bad because I'm being punished. And we know this from ourselves. We know this from being kids and our kids know this too. There's a difference between feeling bad because of the consequence because now I'm grounded for my Nintendo, you know, 2DS for the next three days. And uh, all my kids looked up at that point. Okay. (laughs) You know, feeling bad about the consequence, there's a difference between that and feeling bad about what he actually did. So when it talks about, you know, our convicted of our guilt, our danger, realizing I'm in danger of, of, of hell and helplessness. I cannot save myself. And of the way of salvation in Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition. That means we're not faking it. It's not to, to be feigned is to be faked. Contrition means we're, we're coming to him um, with, with a sense of sorrow, with a sense of um, we are, we're, we're genuinely sorry about offending a holy and good, loving God. Confession and supplication for mercy. We're asking for his mercy. In Luke, Jesus says, he tells the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, and I'll just read this. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, For I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So he's being very thankful to God for his own self-righteousness. But then the tax collector says, The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified, saved, forgiven, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So he was, he was contrite. He recognized that he really was a sinner. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You know, there can be grief, there, that, is, is, that doesn't save. There can be repentance, a type of repentance that doesn't save. You know, if, like I said, if you're sorry about the consequences, you know, there could be ways that this, you know, goes wrong. But if it's a godly saving type, it produces a repentance that leads us to, to, to being saved. Now, let me clarify a few things. Now, I, I do believe that repentance, to some degree, yes, it includes conviction, sorrow, contrition. I want to distinguish this, though, from the Catholic idea of repentance, which is the idea of doing penance. Now, here's the thing. Depending on which circles people are in, there, there might be different dangers, okay? There are some circles... Uh, maybe in the Bible Belt or in some you know, evangelical circles, where they've been taught so much that you know, salvation is by just believing in Christ, that it almost seems like you, you, just, you raise your hand or come down an aisle, you get your get-out-of-hell-free card, 
you know, by saying some prayer that maybe you didn't mean, and you have your fire insurance now, and you're never told to, you know, feel any sorrow about your sin or to turn from it. And so um, it kind of becomes this easy kind of believism type thing. And I think there's a lot of people that they're not genuinely saved because they are just trying to have the, the Savior part of Jesus without Jesus as their, their King and their Lord. And I think it doesn't make any sense. You know, they're coming to Jesus for all the wrong reasons because I think they don't really realize, they don't even think that they would, if God sent them to hell, they would think, well, God, you're being unfair because I don't even really deserve that. And so in some circles, they need to be taught what the Bible says, you know, about repentance, that believing faith is also a repentant faith. But I want to clarify this because depending what background you come out of, you might have a different issue. And you might have friends that might have a different issue too. I was raised uh, Roman Catholic. And I was an altar boy when I was little. And I found that I think for many in, uh, in Catholic circles, when they hear the phrase repent, what they think is you have to beat yourself up because of your sins. And part of that is because... Uh, a long time ago, uh, when a man named Jerome translated the Bible into Latin, he translated the word for repent as do penance. And in the Catholic system, penance are things that, that you do to show that you are sorry about your sin. And it might be, you know, say a bunch of Hail Marys. I think, you know, some of you have a Catholic background and you've, you've had these type of things. Uh, there are some that, I mean, they will actually, they will literally whip themselves. They will actually beat themselves. And to some, the idea is, well, if I, if I beat myself first, then I can do it and God doesn't have to do it. And so I think we also want to make clear when we talk about repentance, we don't mean beat yourself up in order for you to be saved. Because I think if, if that is what you think when you think of repentance, you could be adding some kind of work to it where it's, well, you're saved, you have to have faith, but you also have to beat yourself up and punish yourself. Here's the thing. Jesus took all the punishment already. When he died on the cross, and we're going to celebrate this when we take the Lord's Supper, that when he did this and he said it is finished, he took all the punishment. You do not have to punish yourself for your sin. It's one thing to feel godly sorrow about this, but it's another thing, well, I'm going to pay for at least part of it by beating your, myself up. The message of the gospel of grace is you don't have to do that. It's been paid in full for you. So when we talk about repentance, we don't mean to do penance. We also don't mean to imply that this requires perfection. Okay, sometimes maybe it gets communicated that, wow, if you struggle with any sin yet, you haven't fully repented and therefore you're not saved. I don't know, would anyone say here that you're done struggling with every sin? Now, hopefully, anything that we see as sin, we're gonna, as soon as we realize it's sin, we're going to say, okay, God, help me to fight against this because I want to be on your side, Jesus, and I want to turn my back on anything that you say is wrong. But if we think that we're requiring perfection before salvation, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And I also want to add to you that, you know, this contrition, this godly sorrow may not look the same in every single person. I mean, for, there may be some that when you're saved, you are, you are on the ground weeping before God. 
And there may be others where it doesn't come to the surface in that same way. But I hope that there is something that God is doing, that this is something that is real in your heart. So, part of it is, uh, another way you could think of faith and repentance is repentance is the, the turning away from sin, and then faith is the turning to Jesus. If you have your quarters, if you have that, and if you have the head, and the head is towards you, and if you turn it, you are both turning well, let's say you start with the heads away from you and now you turn the heads towards you. You're doing two things. You're turning the head towards you and you're turning the tail away from you. So repentance is turning the, the bad side away from you and uh, the faith is turning towards Jesus. So if there's sin and if there's Jesus, we're turning away from sin, we're turning, turning our back on sin and turning towards Jesus. So faith is turning to Christ and trusting him alone as your all-sufficient Savior. In the doctrinal statement, it says, at the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just on the surface. It's something from the heart. And we're turning to him. We're receiving him as our Savior, as your personal Savior. You can't do this for someone else. Mom or dad can't do it for you. You have to receive Jesus uh, with, your, with your full heart and confessing him. We, we confess that he is our Lord and is our only and all-sufficient Savior. It's not him and something else. It's not him. He's not enough. He is all-sufficient. That means he is all that you need. He is, he is enough. When they talk about what faith means, I think this is helpful. Sometimes they talk about it including three elements. Knowledge, assent, and trust. I think that's worth writing down. Because saving faith, it's not... Knowledge is part of it. You have to hear about it. You have to know about it. Okay, so if they were building a bridge for you to get across a big chasm so you could get home, you know, the first thing, you'd have to know that this bridge exists. And the second thing is you'd have to, you'd have to assent, you'd have to believe and say, okay, yeah, I believe that this bridge is strong enough that it would hold my weight or my car and I could get across. It's not going to collapse on me. You can say, yeah, I believe. I've heard about this knowledge. I agree that it could get me to the other side. But that still doesn't get you to the other side yet, does it? The last thing is that you trust it enough that, that, you, that you cross. That you say, I believe it actually can, you know, hold the weight of my uh, vehicle and everything as I go across this. So with this, saving faith means you, you hear the message, you know that Jesus Christ has paid it all for you. Also, you assent, you believe that this is true, but then you personally trust. You personally receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. We looked at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You're saved by grace. It's received through faith. Then I'm going to finish. If you have Scripture, just quickly turn to the book of Romans. I'm only going to be able to skim on this. But the end of uh, Romans... chapter 3, and here it talks about 
all have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. And then look at verse 26. And this talks about uh, God made Christ a sacrifice to pay for the wrath for our sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the ones who has faith in Jesus. So we're saved. The ones that are saved, it's not just everyone. It's the ones that have faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we believe we're saved by, by faith alone. And we say that it, that also includes repentance because it's, it's one coin with, with two sides. Okay? But it's by faith alone. It's not by faith and do these good deeds. It's not faith and, you know, uh, do this sacrament or get baptized or these other things. It's by faith alone. It's the only way that we receive it. And then, but part of that means also we're, we're turning away from any effort that we have to receive it on our own. And uh, going into chapter 4, verse 4, now to the one who works, if you're working for your salvation, uh, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And you, you can't be saved that way. And to the one who does not work, so you give up your self-effort. You give up trying to earn your own salvation. The one who does not work, and that's hard to do, to give up our own self-effort. But the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So this is the message. This is how we're saved. This is the, the only way. It's a gift of God, and we receive it through, through faith. It's a, it's a faith that is repentant. It's a repentance that is, is believing. And I would say this too. If we're going to talk about these, that you can't separate them. And I would also say that the faith is really the heads of the coin. I think it's more important to focus on what we're turning to than what we're turning from. Let's give Jesus more of the emphasis than, than sin. So this is something that we talk about, but it is uh, something that the, the glory is not of the folks turning away from sin, but the glory is that we're rescued from our sin by Jesus Christ who died for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. Thank you for, for working in our hearts so that we could uh, turn to you and to believe. And Lord, as we do this, we, we do feel sorrow over our sin because it's a terrible thing to rebel and sin against a God that is so loving to us. And so we thank you that we can trust in you with confidence, knowing that you have taken care of everything for us, Lord God, by your death and resurrection. And uh, we just thank you for that. We trust in you alone. We don't depend on our our repentance or turning over a new leaf in order to get us saved. We, we cling completely to you. But as we do that, help us to live lives that, um, that, uh, that seek to know you more and to uh, keep turning to you. And every time we're tempted to turn, to turn back, cause us to keep embracing you and trusting you as our Savior. In Christ's great name we pray. Amen.